Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of The Intro. This is your host, Matt Delavalle, aka MDV, and I'm joined today by my very good friend, Gabe Giannis. Gabe is marketing director here at NC Fit. He and I work together nearly every single day on one of the tools and tactics that we can use to continue to push coaching to the absolute limit within our company and outside of our company. Now, Gabe is also a stud coach in his own right. He came up on the East Coast at CrossFit Garden City under Jen and Dennis Hunter Marshall and eventually made his way out West where he landed at NC Fit. Now, one of the cool things about Gabe, and there's many cool things, is that he is one of the most humble, but disciplined and habit-driven individuals I have ever met in my life, which makes him an extremely effective professional. Gabe is sharp as a tack. And one of the cool things about this conversation is Gabe really dives into three main points across the entire podcast in which he identifies coaches can really excel. Number one, confidence. Number two, consistency. And number three, I can't teach hustle kind of attitude. And Gabe exemplifies all three of those every single day of his life. So pull up a chair, grab a notebook, and let's get into it with Gabe Giannis. Let's go. Welcome to the intro. My guest today is super excited to talk to Gabe Giannis. Gabe is our marketing director here at NC Fit. He's my counterpart on a lot of the things that we do that interacts with our coaches and our trainers around the world. He's the lead of the NC Fit Collective from a messaging standpoint, and he's involved in everything that we do. You know, the Pro Dev series we're running right now uh, out there talking to trainers about how can we become more professional in the space? How can we be better leaders? I'm super excited to talk to Gabe. I think he's going to have a lot of great insights. Gabe, welcome. MDV, thanks for having me. You forgot to mention fellow Mets fans, Ooh. New York Mets. Cannot forget that one. <laughs> That's probably uh, the yes. most important thing. Oh, yeah, man. But super excited to be here. I mean, I we both talked to so many coaches, gym owners as well, but so many coaches. Yeah. You know, we, we have the Pro Dev Series going on. Our content is constantly directed at the coach. I'm super excited that you have this podcast now and that we have this platform to talk to coaches with some long-term content. So super yeah. excited to be here, man, and, and can't wait to dive into this conversation. Where do you want to take it? Yeah, well, Gabe, I appreciate you being here. And in thinking about your journey, you know, you've been all over. You've lived on the East Coast, you've lived on the West Coast, you've, you've seen into some of the best gyms on the East Coast. Obviously, you've worked with us here out on the West Coast and a few other outfits. I, I would like to hear from the jump from you, when you're working with or you're watching an excellent trainer, somebody who's absolutely crushing it on the floor, what are the common characteristics that you're seeing no matter where you've been in the U.S. and no matter where you've worked? Because you've been all over. Yeah, man. So, I, I mean, I've been super fortunate that I started my coaching journey at a gym here on Long Island, CrossFit Garden City, that has two like, you know, veteran seminar staff coaches that have been doing it for years. Yeah. So my introduction to group class coaching was people that were doing it great. So it's funny because for a while, it's like all I knew. So for me, actually, the, the, the glass kind of broke once I started getting out there and visiting gyms and seeing other trainers, you know, go out there and put out a class where I was like, whoa, like I had great coaching back home. 
and now, you know, it kind of comes full circle working for NC Fit, which is, you know, this amazing organization that, you know, not only has a bunch of stud coaches, but also helps coaches improve. So, you know, it's, it's been an interesting journey and in that it's, you know, it started with some of the best and now, you know, I get to work with some of the best. Um, but yeah, and I've seen everything in between. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, obviously we're going to have plenty of time here to talk about the little things that go into being an amazing coach on the floor. But I think that the one thing after thinking about it, I've noticed is it just all comes down to confidence. I mean, you can just, you, you can tell mm. that a coach is going to do a good job just with kind of the energy they bring into the room, right? Like, are they standing up tall? Do they, you know, kind of approach you, even if you're a new member and ask you for your name, like there's no and it's not even introvert versus extrovert. It's more just they, they know what they're about to do. They know their why. They know why they're getting in there. And that confidence, I think, translates to all the little things that maybe we want to dive into that then happens from minute zero to minute 60. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, I, I, I talk obviously to a lot of people who talk about coaching and the word confidence, it doesn't often come up as the first thing when you're talking about uh, amazing or excellent coaches, you know, care, effort, all those kinds of things are definitely ones that are up there and they're super important characteristics. But this confidence thing is a really interesting point. And I think one of the things that's interesting about it is if you, if you think about what you're saying, sometimes the words actually don't necessarily matter as much as how you're saying it to people and the tones you're using, the inflections you're using and the confidence that you portray. I think that's a really interesting point to dive into, but I did want to give a shout out to Jen and Dennis Marshall at CrossFit Garden City, because that's where you started and cutting your teeth there with two of the most excellent trainers, probably in the world. Um, that's an amazing place to start. Tell us what that was like and tell us how Jen and Dennis exemplified that confidence. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, from, <laughs> from the like free trial intro class that I took who actually Dennis didn't coach it, but you know, it was someone that was under, you know, his umbrella, mm -hmm. you know, it's just kind of the confidence to approach anyone, whether, you know, they were a stud athlete or someone that clearly looked like they were brand new deer in headlights with the amount of coaching and enthusiasm that they needed at their level. Um, and, you know, from there, when I wanted to coach, it was, you just mentioned care. It was the care to not let anyone that just wanted to be a coach go into the program that they had set up at the time, which, you know, you did uh, a month of shadowing, then you did a month of leading warmups, then you did a month of like, you know, actually running classes with someone watching you. So just like the, the attention to detail for the process of bringing on coaches, that's something that I experienced firsthand first, because actually in the beginning, while I kind of saw them coaching classes peripherally, it was interesting to see how, you know, it's always from the top to the bottom, right? Like it was any of the coaches that were at that gym at the time yeah. were at, a, at this kind of elevated level. Um, so it was cool to learn under that because the expectation was high and you were learning from things that, you know, one thing we mentioned in the pro dev series is you're going to learn so much from great coaches and you know who they are, you know, because as an athlete, you feel comfortable from minute zero to minute 60. You feel like you're getting value. You feel like you're getting coaching. Even as I evolved as an athlete and I didn't need help with all the little things, there was always like a little nugget that I got mm -hmm. from them, no matter how, you know, quote unquote advanced I got in some of the skills. So I think that that's, 
one thing that I remember noticing because, you know, like a lot of people, you know, you progress pretty quickly in the beginning, right? Like in the beginning, you kind of like, you're hitting PRs every week. Like, you know, you're kind of like, you're learning all these new skills, but it was so cool how there was always a nugget of value that was new um, that you got every single class, every single time. Yeah. That, I mean, that's a cool perspective to have. I, I don't think that there's many gyms out there that have been solely owned and operated by CrossFit seminar staff members that are tenured like Jen and Dennis and for how long they've run CrossFit Garden City and been successful with it. You know, I, from the jump CrossFit Garden City, I grew up on Long Island and that's where I started my CrossFit journey and my functional fitness journey. CrossFit Garden City always stood out because Jen and Dennis were at the helm and you knew that they were coaching at a super high level and training at a super high level in that gym. It was just the reputation that they had. And I think that that obviously carried over to the other coaches in their, their system. One of the things that you mentioned there, and I'd like you to, to maybe talk a little bit more about this is that that confidence allowed you and the other trainers to add value to anyone, no matter their skill set. What does, what does that mean to you specifically? Cause I think that this is often a case where coaches are failing big time. Yeah. So a little bit of a, uh, anecdotal story here. I went from, so when I started coaching there, I, I, I took on the 1230 class, which was a good class to get started with because it was, you know, a lot of moms and it was, it, it, it was like this group that was less intimidating for me as like a newer coach. To like, uh, right. Exactly. Right. Um, but then there came an opening to start coaching the 5am crew twice a week and if any coach out there is coaching (laughs) the first class that their gym offers they know that they're a different breed oh the most type a oh dude they're like they're (laughs) type a they're the like try telling those guys to scale appropriately yeah and good luck right so that was a real interesting you know swap especially and and this is what made it super interesting is that's the time when i used to work out And I know that a lot of coaches go through this and it's, you know, not only is it hard to approach a bunch of athletes that are among the fittest and most experienced in the gym and try and be a coach for them, but removing yourself from, you know, being a part of that group, being a workout buddy with everyone and becoming that coach is that much harder. So I struggled big time in the beginning, you know, like losing control of the room, people getting chatty people feeling like, you know, if you're like, Hey, like we're, we're warming up with the progression right now and they're doing their own thing. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, like it, it was very, very tough to turn into a coach when I was, you know, buddy, buddy with everyone in that group. And it took, you know, wasn't overnight, but that's where that confidence comes in again, because you have to be confident that like, Hey, I, I mean, someone like Jen and Dennis wouldn't allow me to coach these classes if they didn't think that I had the hard skills to provide value to these members, no matter how experienced they were. So knowing that because of the caliber of trainers that they are definitely made it easier, even though it wasn't easy to really kind of start breaking through that, that comfort zone and making sure that even though I know this guy is so much stronger than me, like there's value I can provide on the one rep max power clean day because he's, you know, bending his arms early and I can go up to him and give him that cue and it's going to help him. Mm -hmm. And yes, maybe at first he's like, you know, like 
I got it, you know, but, you know, just through consistency and through just like approaching him with like, Hey man, you're going to do better with this. It, you get the message across and like with a little bit of time, you build that respect, you build that rapport, you build that boundary that like, Hey, 5am I'm coaching. We can train together on weekends still, but like, you know, there's, there's a different relationship when, when, when we're coaching. And the only thing I would add to that is it's, it's so important because even though you can be super loose with, you know, this group that you were friends, we still had people that would potentially be coming in for their first week at that 5am. And what you don't notice is that like, you could be having a great, really fun, loose class and experience with your buddies and it's all good, but that makes that new person coming in feel that much more intimidated, alienated, and not welcome. And that's how you lose a member, right? Like that's how someone churns out after the first month. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was a, it was an experience. Yeah. So all really, really valuable stuff. So much stuff to unpack in there. You know, the, that concept of a great coach being able to add value to anyone. And, you know, I think even good coaches there, we talk a lot about this. There's a spectrum of coaching out there. There's bad coaches. There's good coaches. There's excellent coaches. I think excellent coaches definitely express this, that they can add value to anyone, no matter what that person's situation is or skill level. But I uncovering the confidence to be able to do that. I think one confidence is part of that. You have to have some confidence in yourself, right? How you hold yourself, how you speak, how you move around the room, but you also have to have at, at least a, a, an understanding of the material in a way that you can convey it to all those different groups. And then also an understanding of the audience that you're pitching those different suggestions or cues to, you know, the, the one that I think a lot of people get caught up on, let's say you're, you were a new trainer in the 5am class at CrossFit Garden City. How might you approach somebody who's super experienced who, you know, you don't know if they want your feedback at all, but you need to give them something in, in that, in that class. What, what, what are you, how are you handling that? Cause I know a lot of coaches out there struggle with that. I have less experience. This athlete has much more. Yeah. So, I mean, taking a step back, I think that, you know, for this confidence that we keep talking about, like we can dive into this a little bit more it's all about how prepared you are for the class. And that even goes into, you know, what we offer through the collective and these tools and resources and understanding the workout, understanding the goals. And the reason I bring that up is because the way that you can approach that super experienced athlete and provide that value, even if they are more experienced, fitter than you, is if you understand where they're at so you can give them either a goal to shoot for or like, you know, bring them aside and be like, hey, like, I want to know what skill you're working on today? Like, what's your goal for today? Like, just make them feel heard because if they are a more experienced athlete, they might be like, Hey, I'm trying to work on staying unbroken with a barbell. Great. Here's one thing that has worked for me to do that specifically. And because you understand, you know, what the stimulus is of that day, where they're at, obviously you're not going to help them scale the movement instead, give them a way that maybe makes it a little bit more challenging. Yeah. That's, um, so that's I, so and important. that all comes with preparation. Yeah. That's so, so important. I think that, you know, the easiest way, 
that you can bridge that gap, that talent gap between a new novice trainer and a very experienced athlete is to just ask them questions, to ask them what they're working on for today. What are their goals for today? And in some ways, you're, you're kind of like paying homage to them a little bit with understanding, I don't want to say the pecking order, but like you as a novice trainer going up to somebody who's been doing this for a really long time and just like fucking just spraying them with feedback nonstop. Like that's probably not the way to approach that situation. If you want to have the best relationship with that person, you have to be a little bit more tactful about that. And I'm not saying that confidence doesn't mean that you can't go up them and give them some advice. Just do it in a way that's not going to turn them off right away. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and reading the room, you know, one thing you just brought up now is, you know, if it's the type of person that's going to be fired up or feel really good because you do give them that, that compliment of, Hey man, like, I know you're going to kill this workout. This one's right up your wheelhouse. Like what's a goal you have for you? And I'll hold you accountable during the workout. You know, doing that for someone, not only is that going to hold them accountable and like really push them maybe a little bit more on the pace, which they need and they'll enjoy. But, you know, it's part of that, like what we're trying to do is make people feel good in that hour that they're in there. Like we can boost them up a little bit. Like why wouldn't we? Hmm. Yeah. I, I like that concept a whole lot. Reading the room, understanding your audience, knowing who the people are and the different skill levels, what they're working on. One of the things that you had said a little earlier that I, I also think coaches struggle with is, all right, class is going off the rails. Um, I don't have control over this group anymore. And I think that there's two kind of situations I, I want to talk about and I want to get your, your opinion, your take on them. Number one, let's talk about like, hey, this class in a moment, like right now in the class that I'm running, things are going off the wall. This is bananas right now. I have no control over this group for any reason, right? But I also want to talk about, hey, this is happening every day. I have no control over this group anymore. And I have to show up there every day and coach them. So going into that 5 a.m. class, that that fun, that shark tank that you have there sometimes at 5 a.m., what, what would you do if the class went off the rails in, in the moment, that one time? Man, I mean, there, there were definitely a couple times where I don't think that I like minute 60 came and I don't think I, I ever like fully <laughs> reined it in. Um, but I mean, you know, you just, you have to put your foot down and sometimes just like, you know, use the silence and not continuing to make sure that people realize that like, Hey, we got to bring it together kind of thing, you know? Um, and really just like have a conversation afterwards so that you nip it in the bud. Yeah. Right. Like there were definitely a couple times where, you know, once it was all said and done, like either it was a text message or, or next time I saw them at the gym, like, Hey guys, like I, I just, I need a little bit more, like, you know, be on my team next time, you know, Powerful. and those conversations are super, super intimidating, but super, super necessary. Yeah. And I think that, you know, doing that sooner rather than later is super important. Um, but again, it's, it's just, there's going to be a mutual respect there. If you just like with anything else, approach it as an adult. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that concept of finding your moment to slow things down or realizing that you have to put the brakes on this thing, that you're ghost riding the whip right now and you're not in control anymore, figuring out how can I create a break in this cycle, whether or not it's 
all right, I'm going to have everybody take a knee and I'm going to, they're going to focus on me really quickly so I can reset the intention here. Or do I have to cut the music? Do I have to get people's attention? And do I got to kind of get them in line really quickly somehow? I think that's really important. If you find yourself losing your class in the moment, don't let it spin out. You have to try to break that. But what about the opposite? What about like, all right, you're showing up every morning and the inmates are running the asylum. Like this, it's completely out of your control. You, you don't even, they don't even pretend like you're there anymore. You know, one thing that was definitely helpful is, <laughs> and it's funny if the, if, if the crew that was there during those mornings ever listens to this, they'll know exactly what I'm talking about every <laughs> single time I mention something. Um, I feel like every group like that definitely has their ringleader, right? And you can identify that. Like there's, there's, there's the one guy there that like, yeah, man, like, you the know, he, he's, he's, he's leading the chaos, you yeah. know? And I think that identifying that helps because whether it's having an individual conversation with him, like we said, or just finding ways to like making sure that, you know, Hey, you know, he's doing the warm up. He's here. He's the one listening. Like if you address your communications to him um, or her, you know, you can kind of, you know, better control the room because I do think that, you know, and coaches out there listening, I know that, you know, that there's always, you know, one or two people that, you know, can kind of, you know, take the room one way or take the room the other. Oh, for sure. There's influencers in gyms, man. A hundred percent influencers within certain classes, influencers over the overall culture. And sometimes that might be an athlete. Sometimes it might be a coach, might be the owner, but there's certainly, if you're looking at classes and you go, Hey, I got to get this person on my side here in order to get the buy-in from everybody else. That's a really great opportunity for you. Not only to one, improve your relationship with that person specifically, because you're showing them deference. You're saying, Hey man, listen, I need, I need your help here, but also then to improve your effectiveness across the entire group. You know, this, I think this leads to a really interesting second part of the discussion, which I didn't plan really on talking about this, but just the overall importance of buy-in from both coaches and athletes, but athletes as the influencers, but let's start with coaches first. What about buy-in in regards to the program that we're running or buy-in in regards to something that the gym is doing? What are your thoughts on that? I know you have important ones. Man, I mean, when I have conversations with gym owners, coaches about the programming that we offer, you know, so many times, once you dig through a couple layers of, hey, the athletes aren't liking the program, like, you know, they're saying that there isn't enough of this or that there's too much of that. Once you kind of like dig through a couple of those layers, you realize that it's not the members as much as sometimes it's the coaches, the owner, right? And if you're not bought in to the programming, how, you, how can you present it in a way that's going to get them excited about it, right? How are you going to address maybe the one question in a way that's just going to nip that concern in the bud versus just giving an answer where, you know, maybe now they feel even more, you know, they're, they're going to double down on the fact that like, what are they doing here? So, I mean, it's so huge to have coaches buy-in and, and I've seen it go both ways. You know, I've seen, I've been a part of a gym where, you know, one coach specifically, you know, on his own fitness journey, 
you know, took a turn where, you know, because of training he was doing before, just really like, you know, intensity is going to get you hurt. Like, you know, just like, you know, took a turn to overcorrect because of his own fitness journey was still coaching in the location and then started to question almost every single workout because of that reason and kind of, you know, impose his biases on what the programming was when we all know as coaches that, you know, if you're operating under mechanics, then consistency, then intensity, there's, there's a way to deliver the type of training that we do in a way that shouldn't lead to those issues. Yeah. Now, can there be bad programming? 100%. But I, I, and that to me was the realist example of how toxic that could be. Um, but also just even looking at it in terms of like a one class example, you know, if people aren't bought into why they're doing it, they're not going to tackle it in the way that they should. And that doesn't mean tackle it in a way of like intensity and I have to go all at it. Sometimes there are imams that people are going to give you slack about because they're like, what today's for quality. Like why you should be bought into those days just as much as the day that Fran shows up, right? Like that day has a purpose. And in the greater scheme of what we're trying to help members with, it's incredibly important that one day we're going to work on quality. It's going to be an imam. We're going to slow things down. It's not going to be easy. It's actually going to be difficult in a different way. But again, it comes back to all the things that we talk about preparation, understanding the stimulus, and and that's how you get coaches bought in. And that's how those days that aren't just, you know, easy crowd pleasers for the fire breathers to still serve their purpose and make people feel not disappointed when they walk out. Yeah, I, Gabe, dude, this is a, this is a massively important topic, and I think it's underrepresented in conversation and coaching circles that coaches wield an amazing amount of power and influence over the membership and the perception of things that are going on in the gym. And I, I don't care if you were talking about programming overall, a specific workout, you're talking about a specific challenge, a type of T-shirt you're selling a new process at the gym or a gym protocol, any of those things can fall into line with this discussion. And what I think it's important for a lot of coaches to remember is that at the end of the day, you're employed by somebody who's running this gym for a reason and they're running it for the betterment of their athletes, but they're also running it as a business and your words, your actions have an influence over that business. I talked to a gym owner today that lost $20,000 in revenue because 15 members left because two coaches were upset about the type of programming they were doing in their gym. It wasn't our program. It was a different program. That's wild to me. That's it's borderline, not borderline. That is irresponsible of the coaches, in my opinion. If you have problems like that, you got to go to your owner and you got to talk about that. But to air your dirty laundry out there to the members in a way that forces them to question the decisions that the gym is making as a team. That's a fucking horrible way to do your business or to be a team player. I I, I just don't see any other way around that. I don't know. Is this ego driven? What is this? Is this something that we have to say, Hey, listen, we got to take our egos out of the equation. Yeah. I mean, it's there, there's no, there's no room for that. You know, we, we mentioned it before and it was about something else, but you know, that's a place for an adult conversation. Like, do you have to agree with the programming wherever you are? No. And there might even be opportunities where 
you're educating yourself on programming and trying to become an expert in the space as well. And you have like real substantial, substantive, constructive criticism on the programming. Like you think you can make it better. That's amazing. I mean, we should constantly be trying to do that, right? Like there's no one out there, us included, that's writing perfect programming and we're making changes to what we do and improvements based off feedback all the time. That's how you deliver that. It's, it's through one-on-one feedback, through conversations with the intent of improving the product that if you're a coach there, the reason you're a coach there is because you're bought in on helping out the members, right? Like that's why we're there. That's, that's our job. Now, if that isn't a fit, that's a different conversation. But I think that, you know, there's no room for undermining what they're trying to put out there because that's not helping anyone. And that's not even going to help you. You know, they, it, it just, it, it fractures the trust that there is in, well, if you're a coach here and you're talking bad about the programming, then why are you a coach here? You know, like it, it, it doesn't even help you. So I, there's no room for it. Yeah. I, I think we see eye to eye on this topic and I definitely want to dive into it more because I know that I know that coaches feel emotionally attached to the workouts that their gym are running and you want to be fired up about it. And you, you want to have a fire that's lit inside of you personally to go out there and coach a really fun workout. And maybe when you see something that you don't deem as being fun or effective, or you have a question on why it's harder for you to do that. What I would say to that is that the greatest coaches are going out there, no matter what the fucking, no matter what the workout is and going out there and coaching it like it's their favorite workout. And if you're not understanding why something is programmed, that's on you to do the due diligence, at least in a product like the NC fit collective that we put out, we put out a really detailed session plan, really detailed notes. We have a monthly programming focus. There's a method to the madness. And you, you have to go and you have to try to unearth some of that stuff before you go and badmouth it on the floor, or I don't agree with this approach. That's, that's all ego. When it comes to programming, you have to try really hard to make bad programming. So if you're talking about any of the big players who are out there, whether it's us or Mayhem or Comp Train or whoever else, I guarantee you the programming is pretty solid. Might there be some stuff you don't agree with? Sure. Does that make it bad? Probably not. So like, is it, is it ego driven? How do you have those conversations? Who do you have them with? Do you have to look in the mirror? Yeah. I mean, so much that we talk about, whether it's on pro dev or even just our conversations um, comes down to self-reflection and there just isn't enough of it. I mean, you know, it's, it's a journey we're all going through. Like there's, there's so much that, you know, I'm sure I complain about that, you know, I really have to look in the mirror and be like, well, am I putting myself in the best position to not have that thing to complain about? And I think that, you know, that's, that's, it's a super important to look at so many things in life, but it obviously applies to this, um, you know, really, really well. And I think ego is involved to some extent. But again, you know, that's, we should take a step back and why are we coaching and why are we coaching at the gym that we're coaching? Mm -hmm. And if we understand that, then the decision should be simple on how to handle something like this. Or, you know, if it's not the right place for you to be, then that's fine too. Yeah. I think that's another important point that if you're able to have the conversation 
with your owner or your head coach behind closed doors and you're saying, hey, listen, let, as adults, I want to talk about this. I want to break this down. I'm having trouble understanding, you know, why we made this switch or why we're programming like this now. And I want to be able to go out there and deliver this product in a way that would make you proud and me proud. If at the end of that conversation, you can't do it, there's nobody holding a gun to your head to continue coaching at that gym. You, you also, if you fundamentally disagree with the way things are going, maybe you should look at some other places that are a better fit from you. Cause I guarantee in the long run, you'll probably be happier. Your owner will be happier and your athletes will be happier, but to go out there on the floor and to like shoot a workout down to your members who are there to have the best hour of their day, that does nothing for anybody that makes their experience terrible. They, they, they question, why are they there that day for this shitty workout? Is it, is it a shitty workout? Probably not. I, I would bet my next paycheck that it's probably not a shitty workout. It's just being looked at in a shitty way. So how, Gabe, when you're thinking about, let's talk about a workout that might look, quote unquote, boring on paper, like an imam, right? An imam that's got some body weight movements in there and then some monostructural stuff and then maybe a simple weightlifting movement. Now, when I look at that kind of workout, I'm already fired up because I enjoy that style of training. But let's say you're somebody who's not. What do you need to do to go out there and coach a great workout? Well, I think that's why it's so important to, you know, I'm hoping that no coaches listening to this are finding out that that's the workout they're going to coach three minutes before they start coaching. Right. Because then if that isn't something that you're particularly excited about that type of training yourself, I can see it being super easy to be disappointed and kind of not approach it with that same excitement that it calls for, for people to have a great experience. So that just, you know, brings it back to this whole preparation point where I'm hoping coaches out there that are listening know the night before, or even before that, okay, this is what I'm coaching, not my flavor of workout, but here are a couple points that I can talk about. Like, Hey, the simple weightlifting movement is a power clean. Like you're not going to be exhausted or really winded during the power clean. So today's a great day to work on your footwork and fast elbows and get that, you know, get everyone super excited about today being a day where when we have a bunch of power cleans after a really tough run next week, you're going to feel more comfortable with good technique because you worked on it today. So this is why we're going to do that today. Having a clear why that you can, you know, deliver to different people. And then also just because you know that it's not your flavor workout, like I always love on days like that, leaning on the music and having fun with it. And just like, man, and music during class could be something we can record oh, podcast. about yeah. because it should never be something that like people necessarily like either love or hate, right? Like you have to find that middle ground. However, there's definitely a kind of energy that the music should bring on certain days versus other days, warm up, versus the actual workout versus the cool down. And I think that that, again, takes preparation, knowing what you're going to go to, what's your go-to. And on a day like that, how can you have fun with an element like that to make sure people still feel like, man, this is an experience. I'm loving this, even though it's not their usual like three, two, one go. And I'm trying to do these five rounds for time as quickly as possible. Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I file music, music is incredibly important in what we do. And we, we've put out some content, written some articles about the importance of music before. And music is a skill for me. I think that 
proper use of your music and proper choice of your music gets filed under your, your group management and, and your presence and your attitude. I think that it lines into those things in some way. You know, if you're misusing the music, if your music is way too loud and it's overbearing over everything that you're doing or saying, your class experience, no matter how cool or, um, you know, great the words you're saying is, it's going to be horrible. And then on the other side of the coin, if you have a workout that's a little bit of a lower intensity or it's not as, uh, you know, imminently like uh, exciting on paper as uh, 2159 thrusters and pull-ups, you can use music that day, like you were saying, Gabe, to create an experience. A lot of this stuff comes down to figuring out as a coach, how do you use and lean into different skills? Because it's not always going to be 2159 thrusters and pull-ups. And how boring would that be for you as a coach if that's what you coached every single day? So how do you unearth these different skills to really bring light to a 21 minute EMOM, a five minute burner and everywhere in between. You, you have to be going out there and sharpening all of your skills, not just one tool. Yeah. And it's, it's all about reps, right? We've talked about it before. I mean, it's all about just, I mean, there's, you can also as a coach learn something from every class for sure. There's always something that you learn you did really well. And there's always something that you could learn that you could have done better. Mm. And that doesn't necessarily need to be like a complete, you know, something that fell flat. But there's always something, something that like, Hey, I could have done that a little bit better. Music falls under that category, you know, making a specific workout exciting falls under that category, making sure that, you know, a really, really like, you know, benchmark workout that everyone's super excited and looking forward to like delivering that experience in a way mm. that is appropriate and maybe doesn't feel intimidating for some of the people that are actually intimidated by those days so that they don't avoid them in the future. Because that's a thing too. Like we're having this conversation assuming, and you actually said in the beginning, assuming that no one wants to come in for the four quality EMOM and everyone wants to come in when they get to retest Fran but you have to remember that there are percentages in every single gym mm -hmm. that see Fran come up and it's the last thing they want to go in and do. Mm -hmm. Last thing they want to do is retest it and see if they can PR their time. And when they see an EMOM day, they're like, oh, great. I get to check off the box of coming to the gym and not give it my all. And it's our job to make sure that we control both of those people mm -hmm. on the end of the spectrum so that they don't, you know, give a Fran effort seven days a week and end up hurt or, you know, end up pushing not quite enough every time they come in and are getting something out of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think this a lot of times comes down to two is like taking our negative uh, feeling or our negative emotion out of the equation, because there's definitely value in being fired up about something. If you're personally fired up about one particular style of workout, you could run a gangbusters class that day and everybody knows even before they get there that, oh, Gabe's coaching this one. We're, co we're doing DT today, barbell, intensity, moderate weight. Gabe is going to bring the hammer. I know it. There's something to that. But what you shouldn't do is you shouldn't have those negative implications on workouts where you go, I'm just going to mail this in today. And your members know that Oh, well, you know, MDV's coaching today and it's an EMOM and I know he's going to 
be bored or the brief at the whiteboard is going to be talking down about the workout. You got to take that stuff out. You got to figure out how do you find your voice and your passion on those days? Because ultimately you're going to have, you're going to run into workouts like that and or opportunities like that, whether or not you stay in coaching or go elsewhere that you're not going to be fired up about personally, that you are going to have to muster up some emotion to go out there and do a great job. So figure it out, you know, whatever it is, you, you got to find it. And what, how I want to transition here, Gabe, because I think that you're one of the best people to talk about this because you are so fucking disciplined. Like the amount of discipline that this guy has is unreal. You know, in thinking about your own practice, your own habits and the habits of great coaches, what are you seeing out there across the landscape that the best are doing? I mean, not to sound like a broken record, but I mean, just constantly preparing. Like there's so much that goes into the class experience that happens before you get there, right? Like we've talked about like how you're putting up the, the workout on the whiteboard, you know, how much time did you take to actually like look at the workout and come up with plan A, plan B and plan C based on like the potential athletes that are going to show up in front of you. Like there should be, and you know, I love my routine. There should be a routine built into your coaching schedule where there's time allotted for that, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can't just wing, I'm going to prepare for class, but not have that in some way, shape or form scheduled in. I tend to be the person that does have to have everything like, you know, needs to live in a place in my day well beforehand so that I know that that's carved out for that. And I think that some people aren't as, you know, structured in that way, but in some way, shape or form, same way you clearly have time out of your schedule to actually go and coach the class, right? Like that's a given. If yeah. someone says, Hey, like, are you doing anything at 12 o'clock and you're coaching the class? You're saying, no, I'm coaching the class. So similar to that, the time it takes to prep for that class should in some way, shape or form live in your calendar with the same amount of respect. Like you can't do other things. You have to prep for that class. It doesn't make it any easier to sacrifice the prep for it just because it's this thing that no one's going to watch you do. Yeah. Cause it goes into the class that you're going to coach. Oh, for sure. For sure, man. And you know, thinking back about the conversation we just had a few minutes ago, like if you're walking into the gym and you're reading the workout on your phone or you walk into the gym and the first time you see the workout is on the whiteboard, you're, you're, you're probably going to have an emotional reaction to it. And it's going to be harder for you to push that down. Like, if you're one of those people who's mercurial, who's like all over the place based on what workout you're coaching that's on the board, if that's how you're looking at it for the first time, yeah, it's going to be really hard to muster up the energy to coach an EMOM at, versus a benchmark workout. But also, there's no way that you can run as good of a class experience as if you had prepared for it ahead of time, as if you had thought about what you want to do and say, and what if X happens, I'm going to do Y. That's really, really critical. You know, from a, from a habit standpoint, obviously preparation is key, figuring out how you're going to get it done, but also stop making excuses that you don't have time to prepare. This, this gets me fired up when I, when I hear coaches working out for more than 90 minutes per day, I'm going to give you an extra half hour in there for any accessory work you want to do. If you're working out for more than 90 minutes, I'm sorry, you have time to prepare. You're just choosing not to. 
I mean, there's, there's always time for anything that's, that's a part of what it is that you're trying to do. And here's the thing, like, I, I don't know, maybe this isn't the time to bring this up, or maybe this will kind of preface a future conversation. Bring it up. But I know that one of the things that we're trying to address, and that is an issue in our space is that, you know, coaches in a lot of places feel underpaid already, right? Like they feel like they're in a place where if you're getting paid 20, 25 bucks to coach the hour, and now, you know, we're saying to coach that hour, you better be prepping another 30 minutes. You know, I, there unfortunately is this culture now and we have to change it where, you know, people, because they already feel jaded by, you know, like, Hey, like I'm coaching my ass off. My time's worth more than 25 bucks an hour. And I have to do 30 minutes of prep. Like how does that all work in to what they're doing? But I think that, you know, one step to get out of that is, is that's a little bit short-sighted in that, you know, how you're going to get past the point of getting tw- like your value being $25 for an hour is to do the prep necessary to, do the work. to elevate your game, be more valuable. And if you don't get elevated in your own organization, there'll be an opportunity somewhere else because you're, you have to be more valuable before you start earning more. For and I think that sure. that's that's another episode we'll have to do. But I think that that's where if you're telling me that, you know, I can't invest more of my time prepping because I already feel like I'm not being paid enough for the class that I'm coaching. Like, no, you need to prep even more so that you can get out of this number that you feel you're worth more than. Yeah, dude, this is, it's such an important topic and we'll definitely cover it on a whole other episode because I think put it that, on the calendar. Yeah, I think that it's worth, it's worth discussing, but you know, I, I think we live in a, in an industry in particular in functional training where low standards are just accepted and it low standards are looked at as being part of, well, it's always been like this. And you know, the reason people are making 20 or 25 or 30 bucks an hour for a class and they have been for the past 10 years is because the the standards haven't changed. As a group, we have not elevated the standards high enough. And that's also part of the reason why when you're out there charging for personal training, that you're running into brick walls when you're trying to get $100 per hour for the skills that you have. And listen, I think you should charge $150, $200 per hour. If you have the skills and the confidence to add that value and that you believe that that's a deal for the person who's buying it, you're going to sell out of the like hotcakes. Now, the, the fact that we are still okay with subpar performance and then looking at the uh, output or how much value we're getting for that time, there's no question about why we're underpaid or why the industry is still uh, paying low. Like we have to raise standards. That has to happen first. It's the only way. It's, it's the only way. And again, it goes to that self-reflection bit that we were talking about before. You know, it starts with us. If you want to get out of the current pay that you're in, everything that we're talking about here to be a great coach applies. Everything that we're talking about in the pro dev course, like that's where it starts. That's the foundation. The results will come. And I know it's like super cheesy to say, trust the process, but you have to trust the process. You can't like expect you know, the, the, the finish line to just come at you because you want it, you know, you have to 
And that's another thing that gets me fired up is like, you know, saying you want it versus acting like you want it. And that's where that necessary prep comes in and that discipline comes in and all the things that we talk about all the time, whether it's on a podcast or just, you know, on a phone call. Um, That's why that stuff is so important. Yeah. And there's other parts of this too. Like we're still in a relatively young industry uh, in particular in functional training and the, the business around functional training. We're also in a really challenging time right now for traditional brick and mortar boutique gyms or even bigger gyms. Anybody in fitness is probably challenged right now through COVID. So having that awareness that, you know, one, it's, it's going to take time for things to change for you personally and also for the industry. But that doesn't mean that you should hold your standards low during that time. You should be trying to push your standards up and through the roof because we were just talking before this call. You never also know who you're going to encounter in the walls of your gym. You know, we, we have this awesome opportunity to interact with a lot of really special and successful people. Generally, the type of people who are attracted to our training have an cr- incredible amount of success outside the walls of the gym. And I know it's a generalization, but like, you know, when I was coaching at CrossFit New England back in the day, like, I was interacting with a ton of Boston CEOs who were in there because they wanted to maximize their performance in one hour of their day. That's an incredible opportunity. Imagine you're that person who's showing up and like underselling your services to 20 powerful CEOs or whatever their job is. That's wild. Like you have to be blowing their minds. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many different ways that you can reverse engineer how opportunities present themselves but it all just comes down to like you never know who's in the room i mean you 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 hit the nail on the head and that applies to you know how you conduct yourself and and how you deal with interactions with people regardless of who you think they are but yeah it absolutely applies to coaching at one of our gyms because you don't know who those members might be and the lasting impression that you leave on them and the doors that it might open. Now, that doesn't mean you go out there and you like find out if your class has people that you'd be interested hey, in impressing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can I get some hands for CEOs? <laughs> but like, that's how you should approach everything, right? Yeah. Like you should approach everything like someone that matters is watching. And you said this during the pro dev course, and I love it. Like, and even if no one's watching, like you're watching and you should matter the most, yeah. right? Like you're always setting your standard and holding yourself to a certain standard. Yeah, dude, that was, um, so I, like I said before, I grew up on Long Island and Gabe's a Long Island boy too. The high school that I went to, the motto was, uh, you know, who you are when nobody's looking, right? Who are you when nobody's looking? And I, I always kind of thought back on that. And, you know, to me, the quote that's on the Rogue Fitness entryway what you allow in your presence is your standard. Nobody's in our presence more than our own selves and how you talk to yourself, how you present yourself, how you act. And when nobody's looking or when people are looking, that's your standard, right? This is a great lead in because I want to talk to you about when the morning, when the day, what's this all about? Oh, oh man! What is this all about? What time do you wake up in the morning? You lunatic. I mean, I'm not going to say every morning, but at least I, I think I, I, I cheat, like not cheat, but I I'll sleep in like three or four times a month. Um, but five fifteen to five twenty 
every single morning. And it all actually started. So I'm a huge Jocko fan. Yeah. And talk about maniacs. That guy is a maniac. And if you need to get fired up, you should look up Jocko because it'll get you fired up. But um, I mean, I, I've just been following for a while and he does this thing where every single morning he posts a picture of his watch and you think I'm crazy. Yeah. He's always in the four. He's like 430. 346. Like, <laughs> yeah, 346 a.m. And like an hour later, he'll post it like, you know, he crushed the workout or something. And so last January, I was like, I'm going to try and do it for all of January. I'm going to wake up at 4 a.m. every single day in January. And I did every day except one because my birthday's in January. And I think it was the day after. Um, but, you know, as crazy as that was, and it was too much because like, I, 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 I'm not saying that sleep isn't important, but four o'clock is super early. Um, but it, it was so nice to have time mm. where nothing can impede in getting something done and getting a win in the books. And that literally could be anything. It could be reading a couple newsletters in an email form that like I just do for fun. For a while, you know, I, you'll make fun of me, but I really got, and I'm still in the hobby of, of collecting sports cards. It could just be like opening up eBay and like spending 30 minutes on that because that's something that like brings me a lot of joy and it's a hobby that I'm enjoying. It doesn't have to be that you're yeah. working out or getting work started or, you know, doing meditation like it doesn't have to be these things that we like label as like being productive on some mornings it is but just being able to do something where no one's going to call me no one's going to email me no one's going to like impede in me just getting something done for me like the value of putting that in my back pocket before the day even starts has been a game changer for yeah that's really cool i think that the the importance of that kind of time to yourself and whether that's time spent on development or whether that's time spent on uh, pleasure, pleasure reading or a hobby or things like that. Like I think that we are waking up early and obviously Jocko is the king of it and I'm a big Jocko fan, but waking up early right now is very in vogue, right? I think a lot of people are, are doing it. And that's great. They're doing it. And I'm not saying that you have to wake up early in order to be a productive person. I don't care how you end up being productive. I think being productive at the end of the day is the most important thing, but there is something to be said about having that time at a time when there's no other distractions and being able to reinvest in yourself in a way that sets you up for success. I'm, I'm a pretty early riser as well. Not as consistent as you. I, I dip into the six thirties now and again, but you know, <laughs> the, the time that I have in the morning is really valuable for me in regards to, I, I like to spend it doing things like daily stoic making and being intentional about drinking my first cup of coffee. I do a little exercise routine before I start each day. And when I do those things in a row, I am much better positioned for success and the things that I need to tackle for that day. And that's why it's important to me. And I don't know if you feel the same, but anybody out there who's looking for habits to form, that's kind of how I think of them. How am I setting myself up for success? Yeah. And it doesn't have to be waking up at a ridiculous early time in the morning. I just think that, and we've all had this experience. If you're waking up with just enough time to get to your first job, meeting, 
whatever it is, you cannot tell me that that's an ideal way to start your day. You can't tell me that you feel calm and clear headed and that you're not like stressed and anxious if that's, you know, what your morning looks like. Like, and here's the thing, like if you're coaching the 5am class, like you don't have to wake up an hour earlier than that. But even then, I think that there's some value in, you know, if you're coaching the 5am, you know, it takes you five minutes to write the work up on the whiteboard, 15 minutes to get to the gym, you know, whatever it is like you five, 420 would be like the absolute latest you could wake up. It would be so beneficial for you to make that 405 or four o'clock and just give yourself some time. I mean, it's, it's the best advice I can give anyone. And again, it doesn't have to be super early. It's just giving yourself time to have control over that like first part of your day. And it goes back to what's in your control, what's out of your control, right? Oh, like yeah. that is 100% in your control. Like you might hit all the reds on the way to the first place you need to go to. You might, you know, work day might be a complete nightmare. There might be an accident on your commute, whatever it is. But if you got something done in the morning, it'll just make it that much easier. 100%. Dude, I, I love that. I, those 15 minutes or whatever we're talking about, right? 15 minutes they're going to suck for the first three or four days, maybe for the first week. I coached the 5 a.m. class for two years straight at CrossFit New England, and I'm a, I'm a lunatic, so I was up at like 3.45. But like, if you're getting up at 4.20, let's say, and that's getting you a razor-thin margin to get into the gym and have the workout on the board while people are in their cars and staying warm, 4.05 is going to suck for the first couple of days and maybe week, like I said. But then after that, you're not going to notice the difference. And what you will notice the difference is, is how you feel about getting to the gym a little bit earlier. The members reaction when the gym lights are on, the music is playing and they roll up in their car and they don't have to sit there while you roll up a little bit later. I think that all that stuff will end up being more important for you. Gabe, this was a super, super valuable conversation. I know that you're going to be on a ton with this new podcast. Couldn't thank you enough. You have any last thoughts that you want to leave the, uh, the few listeners with? First of all, it's definitely not going to be a few. I'm sure people are tuning in for the intro and I'm super excited for this. No, I can't wait to be back, man. I think we have a lot of things to talk about. You know, I think we, we, we have like four different podcast episodes lined up just based off the last like 20 minutes of us, you know, going back and forth here. No, man, this has been super fun. Um, you know, if there's anything that I want to leave people with is, try giving yourself a little extra time in the morning. I mean, there's a lot of things that I've picked up from different books, different people I look up to, you know, different mentors and stuff. And if there's one thing that's been the most like bang for your buck, it's, and it could be just 15 minutes. Like you said, like it doesn't have to be a whole hour or a specific time. And this is maybe something that we can even talk about in a future episode as well is it shouldn't be something that is incredibly overwhelming. Like if you're right now waking up every morning at 7am, don't start doing 5am every morning. That's going to be step. a miserable week. And then you're going to fizzle out and never do it again. Like start small, get a win. And it, it just, the momentum from there is incredible. You'll, you'll, you'll be thankful for it for sure. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Well, tell them where they can find out more about you on social media and the things that you're doing, because obviously you're killing it with the NC fit collective. If you're a coach or a gym owner out there, you can email us at collective at nc.fit, but Gabe, where can they find you? Yeah. 
that's perfect for anything NC Fit related. But if you're, <laughs> if you want to follow me on social, underscore Gabe Yanez, that's Y A N E Z, that's where you'll see my 5 30 a.m. watch pictures every morning. Get on the hashtag, win the morning, win the day. Gabe, thank win you so morning, much, buddy. Day. Thanks, MDB. All right.